for me indian food is what home is about um you know the smell and the flavors and um kind of my house always smells of home cooking you're listening to the taste podcast i'm senior editor anna huzel and i'm here with editor in chief matt rodbard Today on the show, we have Chetna Makin, who you might know as a contestant on The Great British Baking Show. Later on, we'll be talking to Max Falkowitz about a really hard-hitting food question about hot dogs. But Anna, what did you and Chetna talk about? You know, my first question for her was just whether she still bakes since the baking show because it's like such an intense, high-adrenaline experience, very competitive I wondered if that kind of just made her totally sick of baking. Also intense, too. It's intense, and it's literally in a tent. But it turns out she still bakes almost every day. She bakes for her family. She has a enormous sweet tooth. Um, so we got to talk about that. And she also has been writing a few cookbooks since the show. Yeah, what are these cookbooks about? Like, What, what, what topics? Is it only baking, or is she tackling other, other subjects? Her first was about baking. Her second was about Indian street food. And her third, uh, which just came out recently and we got a chance to talk about it, is called Chetna's Healthy Indian. Here's Anna talking to Chetna. So you've lived in the UK for 10 years now, more than 10 years. Yes, uh, almost coming to 15 years now. What does Indian cooking mean to you? Is it more about techniques, more about ingredients? Is it more complicated than that? I think it's uh, probably quite simple. For me, Indian food is what home is about. Um, you know, the smell and the flavors and um, kind of my house always smells of home cooking, the spices. And not that I don't cook other cuisine. You know, um, we love a good pizza and pasta, but um, yes, it is all about home and um, especially living away from India, outside India, it is even more important that um, I kind of, it becomes a bigger part of our lives. I, s- I saw recently a YouTube video, uh, there was a Q&A with you and your mom that was very sweet. Did How much of an impact did your mom have on this book? Did anything come straight from her kitchen? Um, not necessarily straight from the kitchen because all my cooking, um, she is um, my main inspiration. She is uh, who has inspired me to get into cooking. Not that she ever wanted to be a cook or a chef or writer, but just her passion for cooking um, and having grown up watching her cook from scratch every single day, two meals a day without hesitation with love um, kind of somewhere in my mind um, you know made me fall in love with cooking myself is there a recipe in the book that's just like so different from your mother's cooking that's just like really chetna um i think the black lentils and red kidney bean dal um, Mm. is not how she cooks it at all Um, and actually 
if you taste both these recipes made by you know one with her one by me um, it would taste completely different because her ways i i have been telling her when she visits i make my style of black lentils and i'll say that's how you should try this is better than yours this is the only <laughs> one thing i say that is better mm-hmm. uh, lentils than hers yeah what is the main difference in the technique there Oh so I when she cooks it she throws in onions and tomatoes and black cardamom while the lentils are cooking whereas I don't add anything because I think black lentils have got amazing flavor of its own it needs nothing mm-hmm. so I add nothing I just add um some tomato paste after the lentils are cooked uh, with a little bit of garam masala that's it so hers tastes obviously very different then because it's got more stuff in it and yours i can just tell from the photo has like a really creamy rich texture just from the lentils and the beans yes because i cook it for a bit longer than she does as well so hers is a bit more watery and um a bit more saucy kind of uh, whereas mine is a bit more creamier mm-hmm. because it's cooked low and slow So you're kind of the most famous for uh being on this internationally famous TV show where you cooked a lot of buttery cakes and like sweet creamy things. What made you decide to write a healthy cookbook? I think um I kind of I didn't choose the topic. It is what uh people wanted from me. I felt because the obviously the book was ba- the first book was baking because i just did the show and then i'm a big fan of street foods which was second book and over the last 4 5 years it's been a constant question of people who watch youtube and who have my book saying uh how how do you eat all the cake and be so healthy um and i say to them mm, because i eat healthy rest of the time you know my main meals are really healthy which is why i can afford a big slice of cake mm-hmm. um so just answering people for the last few years uh, i thought you know what this is what i need to share with them is what i cook and that indian food is essentially really healthy um unless you deep frying stuff which in every cuisine there is but everyday food is really really healthy so it was kind of a topic which was um, kind of the root was given to me by my um you know viewers from youtube and books after being on great british baking show was it hard to convince publishers that to let you write about things other than baking um did they of, want more bake, baking books from you um i think that kind of wasn't a big issue it mm-hmm. kind of flew quite naturally because i was really and still am very passionate about indian street food so when the baking book happened i approached them and said i'm so i am genuinely passionate and i think what uh, i feel the market lacks was the knowledge of um, the broader indian street food where they think it's oh it's only samosa and kachori or whatever people know about which is world famous mm-hmm. they don't know that there's so much more um and i really wanted people what i really want is to people for people to cook indian food as part of their everyday meals not to think about oh i'm making this massive indian like not make a big deal mm-hmm. and um so it wasn't very difficult for the publisher to accept my views <laughs> do you still find that you bake a lot after the show or are you like a little bit burnt out on making cakes all the time I bake constantly. I have to have a cake <laughs> really? at all times in the house because I am got a very sweet tooth and I'm not a chocolate fan. So I I love any sort of cakes. It doesn't have to be the same, but it, 
Yeah, I, I'm non-stop baking, always baking. <laughs> when you first decided to throw your hat in the ring for Great British Bake Off, were you excited about potentially a TV career? Were you excited about being on TV or was it not really about that? It wasn't actually about that at all because um, if you see the whole group who took part in our year, mm -hmm. uh, we were all genuinely, um, just genuinely love baking for people, like, you know, to share. And I think baking in a sense is about sharing because you really can't eat all of that all your own. Um, and it's just watching people enjoy it. It's the joy that it gives me is I'm such a feeder. Oh, my God. Um, and I, yeah, it's just it was never we didn't ever think that any one of us will do any work in food after the show. It was just about being a part of the show because we were big fans. And yeah, and um, everyone came from different backgrounds, different jobs. Yes. That were totally unrelated to food or television. Actually, that is also one of the things which um, they require kind of if it's helpful, if you're not a trained chef or worked in a kitchen or work in food. Um, yeah, and it's just we I didn't think anything of um, it other than just being able to bake on the show. Have you stayed in touch with everyone from the show? Absolutely. 2014, was it? Yes. <laughs> um, we are very close friends. In fact, I um, met them two days before I came to New York because one of them got married and we all baked a cake each um, for her <laughs> wedding. So she didn't have one wedding cake. She had... 10 wedding cakes and we had a nice cake table. We're really genuinely close friends. That's so nice. Yeah. What's the weirdest place that you've been stopped and asked for an autograph on the street? Or not on the street? What's the weirdest situation? Oh, um, uh, um, it's, it's actually, they're all kind of quite uh, surprising when people stop so it's not any particular where I've been really, really surprised. Um, it's just surprising every time. <laughs> it is just surprising every time. It's really, it's really lovely. And I have to say, I've been um, the last few days, it's been really nice where people have stopped me in New York and said hello. <laughs> and I love it because I think, oh, it's so nice. I love to say hello to people. So it's really nice. <laughs> You're not sick of it yet. You're not hiding behind giant sunglasses. Or no, God, they're only sharing love. So why would I say no? God, no. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a dream cookbook that you haven't written yet? I Obviously, I have, I've loved every, all the three books I've written. They're all close to my heart. Subjects I've chosen myself. But there is a book where I think I want to, there's something where I want to go deep into Indian home kitchens where, and I don't want to say oh, it's South Indian or North Indian or Mumbai food or Gujarati food, Rajasthani. I don't want to divide it in a name, just categorize them. But I just want to go into home kitchens, like travel through home kitchens. That would be that would be something very, very exciting, yeah. Yeah, I mean, recipes, but also just kind of portraits and photos and little exactly. conversations with people. Yes. Do you travel to India much? Yes, we try and go every other year, yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about this book, your latest book. There are so many, one of the things that I have been learning from it is that there are so many legumes, so many cool lentils, chickpeas, types of dal. 
Um, most of them call for dry lentils and dal, but a few call for cans, like canned chickpeas. Do you have a hard and fast rule for that? When do you decide to use canned versus dry? I think, um, I, I, like I just mentioned, where I warn people to not make a big deal about cooking Indian food, mm -hmm. which is why I want to kind of bring it to mainstream, where I want them to not even think and make lentils, tarkadal, not make a big deal and make it. So I think that is a part of why I've used some of the tinned chickpeas in some of the things, because... Um, I would prefer, obviously, to soak them overnight, cook them next morning. But you have to plan in mm -hmm. advance. You can't then in the morning um, say, oh, I'll make chickpea salad because you haven't soaked them overnight. Um, I think which is a big uh, issue uh, with a lot of people working, you know, they just don't have time. So just so they don't feel that they haven't got time, they've missed the chance, they can't cook this today. I always say if you especially chickpeas and maybe red kidney beans, things that are available in tins. Um, there's no harm in, you know, making life a bit simpler. Yeah. Are there any, are there ingredients that are hard to get in the UK so, that pop up in these recipes? I have tried my levelest best um, to not put ingredients that they have to specifically go online to order because that is something I don't like. Uh, if I'm doing a recipe and if I'm stuck and I can only find it online, it kind of puts me off where it just, uh, I'm not very happy, you know, going that extra mile sometimes. I haven't got time. Then it takes a few days to come. And I live in a very small town uh, in Kent. So I, if I could find in <laughs> Broadstairs where I live, I think that's job done. I can put it in the book because it hasn't got any major Asian supermarkets. All the stuff can be found in normal supermarkets. Um, so I, I feel um, I do try not put in things which are very difficult to find. One of the recipes I'm excited to make is the yogurt curry, where you cook together plain yogurt with uh, chickpea flour and um, some spices, and it kind of becomes like a creamy, yellow, tangy, savory soup. Can you tell me a little bit about that, where it came from? So that is actually a very traditional recipe, um, and it's called curry in, in, in Hindi. Um, and there are various versions all over India. So people like my mom makes a Punjabi curry because we come from Punjab. Um, there's a Gujarati curry, there's a Maharashtrian curry, and everyone makes it slightly different. Their proportion of yogurt to gram flour could be different. They might add um, something in the curry when it's, once it's cooked. Um, so it's a, it's kind of a, we've grown up with that um, curry. Um, and it, it's quite nice because it's really healthy. Mm -hmm. There's nothing bad. You, there's yogurt, there's gram flour, and, which is what, you know, the whole purpose of this book. But also it's quite straightforward. And like in the book, I suggest four different toppings. Now, those are not traditional toppings at all. Mm -hmm. In At home, when my mom makes it, she, uh, she puts deep fried pakoras in it. So it's called pakora curry. Um, so Just right on top, kind of yes. as a garnish. So what it does is that um, the pakoras are also made with gram flour. And what they do is once they're dipped in the um, yogurt curry, it, they soak up the curry. They become mm. nice and soft. It's delicious. <laughs> but then they are deep fried. Um, so I didn't want to, you know, do that. And that's why I've chosen some very uh, delicious, um, healthy options for uh, the toppings. 
that comes straight from your kitchen, not your mom's kitchen. Yes, not yeah, no, not my mom's kitchen. <laughs> What's something you really hope people will cook from the book that might be unexpected? Maybe it's not the first thing they would notice. Um, I I don't have one recipe, but what I would like people to experiment and give a go is the lentils. The reason being that obviously we all know a chicken curry and I love my chicken chapter in the book because I think I love a good chicken curry. It's my uh, mm. comfort food. But with lentils, I think there's more in the world than just the yellow lentil, which I, I find quite frustrating when they kind of generalize the yellow lentil. Now, yellow lentils could be five, six different varieties and they all taste so different. Mm-hmm. They taste just different because it's a different lentil. So I I would love if people could try the different lentils and they are easy to find they taste different and they would be amazed as how different all lentils are um that is what i would love to for people to give a give it a go well chetna thank you so much for coming on the taste podcast thank you so much for having me i am so pleased to be sitting here and chatting with you Here's Anna with a question for Max Felkowitz. We are in the studio today with Max Felkowitz, producer of Taste Food Questions, which appears on the Taste Daily podcast. Max, I have something on my mind. Hit me. Is a hot dog a sandwich? So I feel like this is the 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 great Zen Quan of our time is is whether a hot dog is a sandwich. And my favorite response to this is from Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who wrote, you tell me what a sandwich is and I'll tell you if a hot dog is a sandwich, which wow. is like the perfect legal response to um, to the question. To me, Can I ask what context she said that in? Someone asked her, hey, Justice RBG, is a hot dog a sandwich? How we got to get her on the podcast. I Yes, yes, absolutely. Whatever it takes to get her on the podcast, um, she so and I and I and I like her response because it 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 makes us ask the, the the real question is what is a sandwich? And my favorite new response to this is um it's it's this theory that has been on the internet for a little while called the cube rule, which looks at um, if you imagine all food is being contained being circumscribed by some imaginary cube, and then you look at the orientation of the planes of starch around it, you can use the number of surfaces that are starchy to determine what type of food it is. So food that has only one surface of starch on the bottom is toast. Food that has um, starch on three surfaces that are adjacent to each other is a taco. And oh. and they they cover everything from zero surfaces of starch to all six surfaces of starch. And I is think it all, dumpling, all six surfaces? So all, all they call the, the canonical all six surface starch is called a calzone and they include pop tarts dumplings and burritos in that category and by that and when you look at it through that framework a hot dog is really more of a taco because it it it's it's got it's it's pocketed by bread rather than being sandwiched by bread in the way that we would use the term sandwich so i i I, to me i think a hot dog is a beautiful thing on its own and it's not the kind of thing you want to limit to any other type of food group but if we're going to go by the cube rule, which I think is the best theoretical construct out there today, a hot dog is a taco. Thank you so much for clearing that up, Max. Thank you. The Taste Podcast is hosted by Matt Rodbard and me, Anna Hiesel. 
The show is produced by Gabrielle Lewis, studio recordings by Pat Stango, theme music by Steve Rydell. Interviews are recorded live at Books Are Magic in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn, and at Penguin Random House Studios in Manhattan. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>